You know, I was thinking all the kids say, like, I, I was dying to share with the kids. Like, I, it's like me and Simon Rochetti are jumping up, like, okay, we have something, five examples for everything, and they should be heard. But I was able to keep my mouth shut because I said, well, I'm going to have the mic a little later. So uh, this cup of coffee was roasted and given to me by Doug Buckley, who roasts great coffee. Um, I am uh, really blessed by... Uh, birdhouses that I have made of reclaimed barn wood and license plates from Mr. Jeff Johnson here. And actually, I've got things that so many people here have made for me, including pictures colored by kids and everything. I actually save them because when I get depressed, in addition to seeking good medical help and prayer, I like looking through all the little pictures and notes people have given me. And it's like, okay, I can make it another 24 hour period. Or sometimes I do hour by hour. Do you feel me on that? So anyway, uh, it's Easter still, it's Easter, and uh, Easter season, and also, uh, we also had National Holiday Record Store Day yesterday, I don't know if anyone participated in that, um, but uh, this next three weeks, we have a, a, a discernment meeting, not a decision meeting, but a discernment meeting, because we are in an ongoing process of discerning what does it mean to take the mission we believe God has given us with the post-pandemic clarity that I believe God is giving his people and inviting us to. And by the way, post-pandemic doesn't mean pandemic is over, all right? I, um, Shanghai is like totally shut down right now. It, you know, I, I do not predict the future. And, you know, little, here's a little freebie here. Is science is about observing patterns, and this is too new to have patterns. So it's not unscientific to say, I don't know. But uh, we are post-pandemic in. We have entered into one of the greatest transitions humankind has ever experienced, ever. I'm looking back at the Reformation, the printing press, you know, uh, wars, you know, the atom bomb, whatever. This is the first time the whole planet has endured something once since humans were conscious entities. First time that the whole planet has experienced something, and I don't want to even pretend that I know the implications of that. What I do know is we've got a God that manifests in new and beautiful and creative ways through every crisis, right? And so when I say post-pandemic church, it means what have we learned in the last couple of years of chaos and what clarity, there's an idea that near-death experiences bring clarity to the rest of life. And in a way, uh, the worst case scenarios and what they predict is this could have been a near-death experience for many people. Many of us in the last two years buried loved ones and we know what that loss is like and a lot of us have had to examine our own mortality. So I've got a present for you today just in case you zoned out because the kids were just so amazing and cute that you missed some of the content. We're going to reread the Genesis passage starting with Jess. Where is Jess Bazant? Bazabi. The Bazabi family, we call them. Oh, wait, we should probably move this to a place where not only you can reach it, but you can be seen. Seen and heard. Even though some people don't agree with that. Sorry, John MacArthur, we're going to have more fun. All right, this is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature, so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, 
and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of earth. God created human beings. He made them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of earth. Sarah? Guys, this is Sarah. She's awesome. Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. To all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes, I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. God looked over everything he had made. It was so good, so very good. It was evening, it was morning, day six. Amen. So when Jesus walked the earth, when God became flesh and dwelt amongst us, the, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, identified who they were by three things. Temple, territory, and Torah. We are the people who worship at this temple. This is our territory, and we are guided by the Torah. And then, uh, you know, 1,951 years ago, the temple was blown up, and the uh, territory, people were scattered outside the territory. And they had to kind of recenter. well, we've got our books still. We have the Torah, and we can read that synagogue. But it was a major crisis because it's, it was, we have so much talk about where we find our identity and who we are and what our identity is. And to have two-thirds of what you saw is your identity and your family identity stripped away was a national trauma that everyone experienced. Because their normal, their rhythm of life for... 2,000 years was stripped away. And uh, we go to Genesis 1, and this is a temple passage. By the way, this is not an ingredient of, ingredients of how to build a planet. This is not a procedure manual. This is not a scientific manual. Uh, Genesis is a complicated book because it keeps switching genres. And a good thing to do when you read a book is you read a book according to its genre. Read a cookbook like it's telling you how to cook. Read a history book is history. Read a Haynes manual on how to repair your motorcycle. And uh, don't take uh, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine to mean trains talk. All right, you know, read according to genre. Uh, I've just totally ruined someone's life here today. But uh, read a book according to genre, and it begins with poetry, but also begins with almost like, have you ever heard the idea of like diss tracks in rap music where you would cover, you would take someone's beat and you would, you would say something about another person to tear them down, and they record something to diss you back, and you have diss tracks back and forth. Well, wait, this is a positive version of a diss track. Because there was an idea of all these ancient Near East religions. Some people come and say, oh, you know the Bible just stole that from the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Numa Elish and the story here. And it's just all, I said, no, it's not like some secret plagiarism act here. They didn't like just Google cut and paste. The idea is we're going to cover your song. But instead of the world is made out of chaos, out of capricious entities that do not care about you, and you are not only not good, you're below their notice and better hope they don't notice you. Unless this you exist, this uh, meaningless, capricious existence where you have to appease these gods to act more like frat boys on their worst day. Instead, we have this picture of a temple being formed 
in the temple is a garden. And at the center of that temple is the image. In that image or idol. Now, idolatry is bad. We're talking about a different type of idol, meaning it bears the image of God. Throughout the history of humankind, we've created idols to worship them or made people singular idols. When God says, look at humankind as a whole, and you will see some things within humankind as a whole, not some great individual, but in the collective group of people that bear my image, that will bring up questions. Who is life? Who am I? Who is God? It's not an individualistic thing. It's a corporate existence. And before sin entered into the world, humankind was at the center of a temple where all creation could experience a level of God enfleshed among us. Now, that creation in that temple got vandalized. Now, some theologians think, well, if one way to really glorify God is to say his creation bears none of his image and everyone is totally depraved. Now, guys, if you hire a contractor to replace your roof and, it rain, and there's a storm and a couple shingles blew off and then the whole roof collapses, you're not going to say, oh, that was a really bad storm. You're going to say that was a really bad roofer. If the, roofer, if the roof gets damaged beyond repair to the point where you would never even guess it's a roof, then it's a roofer's problem. The idea that God's good creation, when sin entered the world, would be totally unrecognizable, totally depraved, is good. I mean, it works well if you reduce your faith to an algebraic formula where you build a code of strictly fleshed beliefs and then you uh, kill the heretic that doesn't agree with point four or whatever. Friends, we, I would advise, I do believe in original sin in the fall, but I, I like to think of fractured beauty or the Venus de Milo. It's like you can say, oh man, the statue's arms broke off. Let's throw it in the dumpster. You can say, is it unfortunate that arms broke off this statue? But it's still a pretty cool statue. Um, you know, Van Gogh had the unfortunate choice of using inks that were substandard paints and all the paints radically changed color. Now the contrasts still work, and you look at Van Gogh, and it's like, dude, tripping. You know, non-chemical tripping. You look at, you know, his uh, irises painting, all right? But you don't throw Van Gogh away because the colors are totally jacked. You still say, wow. And I would say the same is if humans can create things that get damaged and we still see their beauty, can we say the same thing about God, creator, and humans? We're still invited to be a collective temple of God's presence, which means a place where somehow in the collective humans, God and people meet and have a relationship. And we have this temple, the original vision created. That vision gets messed up in the collective of humans. In fact, later on in the Genesis account, the idea of all humans coming together doing one thing is thought of as like a Manhattan Project on steroids. You know, they're building the Tower of Babel, and God's like, oh, we better, let's, let's, uh, let's create some major cultural diversity here, because if we have a monoculture, things are going to get messy. And then it, even in eternity, we'll not have a monoculture. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, meaning every indigenous people group that was ever wiped out that we don't have any representations of, somehow their tradition and their language and their culture is going to be eternal. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. That is, you know, I kind of buy into the whole Bible thing. So 
I, I, I kind of think that's cool. Some people may not like it. That um, Anyway, whatever. So anyway, uh, so God begins a project and he calls Israel. He, he, God being the God of the underdog. God, God who says no one is completely a lost cause. The God not of total depraved creation. But the God who created fractured beauty that still endures and begs for restoration. God, God of the underdogs, calls an elderly and fertile couple, Abraham and Sarah. And by the way, this is going to the Mission Central Vineyard here. This is going to hit brass tacks next week. We're having three weeks where we're discussing this. So this is, what I'm saying here is imperative to our discernment process. All right? It's imperative. All theology is practical, and if it's not practical, it's probably heresy. All theology is practical. And the idea was God takes an elderly and fertile couple and says, we're going to make you a mighty nation, but the first thing we're going to do is not have you visit a fertility doctor. We're going to take all your financial assets, the major ones away, which was your land and your property. Who was it? What movie said, if you don't got land, you don't got nothing. No, okay, Carl, I was depending on you. Uh, anyway, look up IMDb. Well, anyway, let's take the land away. You become wandering shepherds. Shepherding was the lowest job in that society because when you shepherd sheep, part of caring for sheep is cleaning out their rear ends. Just as shepherding is, out of all things, we have these very idyllic pictures of shepherds, but they didn't have latex gloves back then. Shepherding was considered a low job, and that's why Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. He's like, I'm willing to go in the nooks and crannies and fix the impactions. So you, this is Bible, guys. I mean, he does use the metaphor, and we know what shepherds do. Anyway, so he begins, he says, I want to make a great nation of you people. This nation becomes a nation against all odds. And then in the Torah, God has them build a building that is a temple that represents the connection of God and people and is supposed to represent them in a similar way, just the very creation of humans in the garden. So, Carl, if I could have you come up, and I want to read some of the technical details of how this temple was constructed, because it's important to us here and now. And after Carl, we're going to have Andy. Exodus 31, 1 through 11. God spoke to Moses, see what I've done? I've personally chosen Bazal, uh, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I filled him with the spirit of God, giving him skill and know-how and expertise in every type of craft to create designs and work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set gemstones, to carve wood. He's an all-around craftsman. Not only that, but I've given him Oholiab, son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan, to work with him. And to all who have an aptitude for crafts, I've given the skills to make all the things I've commanded you. The tent of meeting, the chest of the testimony and its atonement cover, all the implements for the tent, the table and its implements, the pure lampstand and all its implements, the altar of incense, the altar of whole burnt offering and all its implements, the wash basin and its base, the official vestments, the holy vestments for Aaron the priest and his sons in their priestly duties, the anointing oil and the aromatic incense for the holy place. They'll make everything just the way I've commanded you. And this is from Exodus 35, 10 through 19. Come, all of you who have skills, come and make everything that God has commanded. The dwelling 
with its tent and cover, its hooks, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the chest with its poles, the atonement cover and veiling curtain, the table with its poles and implements and the bread of the presence, the lampstand for giving light with its furnishings and lamps and the oil for lighting, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the screen for the door at the entrance to the dwelling, the altar of whole burnt offering with its bronze grate, and poles and all its implements, the wash basin with its base, the tapestry hangings for the courtyard with the posts and bases, the screen for the courtyard gate, the pegs for the dwelling, the pegs for the courtyard and their cords, the official vestments for ministering in the holy place, the sacred vestments for Aaron the priest and for his sons serving as priests. All right, and actually I need to make a course, uh, a course adjustment is the rest, um, the rest of you who I recruited to read, you're not going to read this service. Hopefully you can read next service because uh, with recognizing the other things we've been recognizing here, um, I knew I wouldn't get through all of it, but this is where I want to camp out on right now. And it's a, this is a good place to tease this out. Is so we have God creates creation. And it's like, mm, good, mm, good, mm, good, mm, wow, good. I mean, that's kind of Genesis 1 in a nutshell. And then we see God's Holy Spirit filling two people with difficult-to-pronounce names and taking whatever nascent talents they have and oomphing them up and saying, instead of, I'm not going to make one great leader who's going to create everything, I'm going to create a people that can create, like I, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created. And so he creates this collective people to create. Now, the difference is, God created is what theologians call ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. Humans are remix artists, all right? We, we sample God's songs, and we create them into other symphonies. And I'm not talking old, like, you know, 1980s samples where they would just cut a chunk of a song and let it play out a little bit. I'm talking like the avalanches where they'll have, like, 40 different samples, create a song you don't even know that it was sliced and diced. Except you'll recognize Karen Carpenter's song, voice sometimes if you know Karen Carpenter. But you hear, if you listen to Avalanches, when they remix, it's like seamless. It's like they have, if you go to um, whosampledthis.com or whatever, you can see, wow, these guys are amazing collage artists. Well, basically every act of art and creation is sampled and remixed. Every act, every idea, everything we do is a remix. All right? That's one thing, you know, I have some issues sometimes with intellectual property laws, because I'm like, well, someone probably thought that before you did. You know, especially when people copyright sermons. It's like, come on. Someone else, if it was good, someone preached it before, because the Holy Spirit doesn't leave good ideas on the table. All right. Anyway, mini sermon on. So, we are remix artists. We create out of the created, and it shows Behelel and Aholiab, Belazel and Aholiab have uh, been filled by the Spirit. Now, a passage in 35 then talks about them giving that skill to others. So something about their skill set inspired other people to act in their skill set. And there's a ton of other labors that went into building the temple. The amount of people that were called to build the tabernacle and then later the temple, the amount of skilled artisans, and it talks about their artwork as being Spirit-filled. One of my favorite things that happens when there's a regime change or an end of some oppression is the creativity that comes through hardship. You know, one of my old vintage examples was the fall of the Berlin Wall. Who was alive when that happened? 
Okay, so about half of you. When Berlin Wall fell, you know, everyone flocks to Berlin. And you two uh, had a little wall in their career and said, we need to figure this out and reinvent it. So they went to Berlin and recorded one of my favorite albums. It was like nothing they've ever done before because there was this zeitgeist going on. When the veil is torn, when the wall goes down, when oppression is lifted, there is uh, uh, energy of creativity. There's artists. There's entrepreneurs and there's engineers that make the art and the entrepreneurial things happen. And I think the Holy Spirit, we have Holy Spirit-filled engineers, Holy Spirit-filled artists, Holy Spirit-filled uh, entrepreneurs, and all mixes and permutations of the above. You know, uh, one of the ways to be humble is to know what one thing you're good at and what 80 things you should be a fan of someone else's talent. Humility isn't saying I suck. Humility is saying I rock in this area. Praise be to God. And I'm a fan of the community I am. Because we're not designed to be hyper-individualists living in silos saying we're all that. Humility is saying, like, man, uh, John has had to look when I last minute design a slide and the kerning is off, the font was wrong, I should have used this and that and the other, and the picture is bad, and why did I do it at that resolution? It's not because he thinks I suck, it's because he knows I'm good at that, and I'm at that. Now, uh, John is not a really great dancer. I mean, I'm, I mean, when he embarked in that liturgical belly dancing career, I, I'm glad we were able to have that intervention. That was before you guys knew him. But knowing what thing you rock, like Carl knows, I am a bard. I am a storyteller. In fact, we, have, we, we came up with D&D titles for everyone on staff at, at church, and I, I was like the, uh, uh, the, uh, the cleric. I'm the cleric. You were the bard. You know, we had just different roles and stuff. Um, Carl knows he's a great storyteller. Carl knows he's a horrible aerobics instructor. One body, many parts. But how we announce the kingdom is... God knows that we can't just have one Berlin Wall experience. God knows that we can't have just one fall of Pol Pot's regime. You know, one of my favorite things about Battambang, Cambodia, is that's where the art scene went. You know, in the rural areas of Cambodia, that's where the killing fields were, the killing. They evacuated the urban to the rural. A lot of the, most of the times I've seen, to this day, bones coming from the dirt every rainfall is near outside Batambam. And that's become the arts mecca of Cambodia. And I, I'm just honored. Thank you, John, for my latest piece of Khmer art. I've got a lot of pieces of Khmer art. In fact, I tracked down the pre-revolution comic books from Cambodia, which is a very unique form of manga there. But anyway, I love post-oppression art. But we just celebrated Easter. Easter is the veil is torn. It's much bigger than a Berlin Wall. But the church celebrates it every year. Guess what? Because we leak. We leak passion. We leak ideas. We bleed. If you follow Jesus, you're going to take hits. We don't know. God is our shelter in times of storm. But a lot of times the hail comes horizontally, right? And beats us to a pulp. God is not the God who keeps us from suffering. He's the one man of sorrows, familiar of suffering, who is a healer. We are, you know, I, people, I don't trust people who aren't limping. Because if you're not limping, in all likelihood, it's because you're too busy kicking the crap out of someone else and they took your pain 
and you had nothing. You know, all work is frustrating. Now, uh, guys, if you have a job where 70% kill me now, please find another job. But listen, if you have a job that, if you do what you like, you never work another day in your life, well, what that means is you probably are working this easy job that has all these sweatshops where people are suffering. You know, we do have ways to displace the frustration of work in a fallen world where people suffer a ton and we suffer little, right? But I think the 80-20 rule is pretty good. It's like, man, I love what I'm doing, but man, I'm taking some hits and boy, do I know a healer. So Central Vineyard, we have been through society's near-death experience. We've been through maybe democracy's near-death experience. I don't know. We have been through a lot of things. And I want us to have the attitude of this is the first day, this is the first church service of the rest of our lives. Not because we're rebooting, not because it's because the world has had something happen. In our mission, we called, we kind of, we knew what we were, then eventually we kind of were able to pithily sum it up, and it just so happened to sync up with the beginning of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that's where Jesus recruits his disciples, he heals the sick, he welcomes the outcasts, and he breaks away to silent places to spend time alone in solitude praying to God. He said, you know, to, we want to be a community that endeavors to live by Jesus in central Columbus as a community of prayer that engages suffering. And if you don't know Jesus loves you, you're suffering. If you, are, uh, if you receive a disproportionate attention from law enforcement because of the color of skin, you're suffering. And the gospel addresses both of them. It's not evangelism and social justice and mercy ministry. It's Jesus is in town. And he's got some good things for us to do. And whether you're suffering from betrayal, mental illness, financial setbacks, or your right knee is going out, God has something to do there. And there is, God is the God of the underdog, which means there's no ground floor advantage in the kingdom. There's no ground floor advantage. The Pharisees thought they had the ground floor advantage, and Jesus became fans of Romans. That's how it works. There is no I was here when. There's always the now, and God loves you. So as we enter the season of discernment, we have simple values and parameters and things we're currently doing now. I'll just give one example. The ministry of One Good Home, we have uh, one house that, that provides housing for uh, a particular group of, of, of homeless immigrants. We have another house that's refugee resettlement. Guys, these are essentially big canvases, and we've got little pencil marks of where we can paint things. The canvas has been prepped. You know, Daniel and his team, uh, Michelle Gibbons and others, have been kind of putting the base coat on. But the thing is, when it comes to welcoming, when do you finish welcoming? Okay, let me say, when you have a party, is a party finished once you get the ho-hos and the Donato's pizza delivered? No. You're always saying, well, what am I going to do next? How am I going to level next? We get some music for this party. Let's get a DJ at this party. Let's maybe get it catered with some good desserts. Let's maybe have a better venue. Let's invite more people. You don't top out on welcome. So one of the canvases... We're not changing the mission, community of prayer that engages suffering in a local and a non-local way. We're also in a liminal space with Asia's Hope. Uh, we'll be discussing this, but this student center thing is rocking. The idea that kids who were destined to be trafficked, either sexually or labor trafficked, are now thriving at university. And not only that, 
Other students who have nothing to do with the ministry of Ages Hope are thriving in proximity to these Jesus followers experiencing Jesus' love. You know, what does that show? Save the cheerleaders, save the world. It's really save the orphans, save the world. Right? Save the orphans, save the world. And, but the canvas, I, I, so much that you're not aware of, John and the team have been working at preparing this canvas. And what the question is, Central Vineyard has a superpower. It's not we're the richest. It's not that we're organized. It's not that we have the most mentally stable, emotionally stable leadership team. Uh, what our superpower is, we endure the pains of entrepreneurial creation in engineering, and we'll take the hits so other people have, we'll rock, walk on the rocking crags and split open our knees and cut our heads so other people can walk a paved path to do justice work. And now we, we're in a liminal place where, okay, we started with this first home of the new paradigm. Now we've got two little cities in Cambodia. We have a student center. What is the next point of evolution? We don't know. But we have our values, we have our mission from God, and we are living with post-pandemic clarity. I just turned 50 during this pandemic, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know how many years I have left, but I know that I've got some new adventures going on. And I think all of us are in the process of inviting to discern. So what's going to happen next week? Guys, I plead with you, if you see us online, here, I'll have people listen to this because this is a multi-part sermon, is we need you. We're not, we don't, we're, we're not dis discerning who our Savior is. We got that covered. We're not discerning that everything is done with the fruit of the Spirit. That's pretty obvious. We're not discerning that unless God shows up, nothing happens. But we're saying with the eggs, the flour, and the milk in this amazing oven, there's a million different recipes that can be made still within these parameters. And uh, guys, I'll end with this. I look at you guys. I, I, I have the burden and the joy of knowing so many of your superpowers that other people don't know about. There is so much kingdom creativity. There are so many people that have experienced a healing journey in somewhere where you may be part of someone else not committing suicide because of the healing journey you made. Someone may live a good life that wouldn't because five of you will be in their life. Guys, there is your little meager talents that you think are just loaves and fishes. Guys, uh, I see so many examples. Oh my gosh. Like, like Nate, punk rock Nate. Hey, Nate, uh, you know, Nate knows a bunch of my friends I've been friends with for years. And we just connected independently in this group. And a lot of my, our mutual friends don't have the hope we have. They have maybe hope in things and they're great, great people. We gotta help. But one thing I know about Nate, is they've seen a picture of Jesus beyond what I could have showed them. And I'm like, you don't even know this, but you've got this latent mutant superpower going on that God is giving you as part of the body. But you know, we've all been told BS about ourselves that we're not good enough, we don't have... Listen, God has equipped us. God has equipped us. Listen, we are the first church in the short bus, right? I mean, uh, John and I were both told by Christian leaders that we would never amount to anything in our life. And it's like... Oh, Lord have mercy. They had such a boring outlook. You know, I look at the kids that are the most spontaneous, let's say. Like, I, I love, like, Finn. Veronica, when I see Finn, I know sometimes, like, oh, Finn's acting up. Is he distracting everyone? I'm like, Finn is going to change this world. This is, a, you know, I, God loves troublemakers. Look at the disciples, for Pete's sake. All the well-behaved people put him on the cross. 
Anyway, guys, all of us have a role to play in God's great commission. So I want you just to meditate on this. I'm not, we're not closing the deal here, but we're continuing on next week. Let, Michael, could you come up and can we do worship? We're going to do communion. Communion, we keep celebrating this all the time because Jesus said to and Paul said to and basically we have the, we have the cup and we've got the bread. Speaking of remixes, and speaking of remixes, Jesus took the Passover ceremony that was for a specific ethnic group and said, and this is the best kind of cultural appropriation you'll ever see. Jesus says, okay, God came to a people group on behalf of the world. So Passover part two, and this is like, this is like the sequel that's maybe even better than the original, like the Godfather part two. You know, it's like the sequel outstrips the original. And he says, this people group is now gone global. This bread, this bread that you ate on your last day of slavery is the new, is my body that's broken for you. I, instead of kicking butt and taking names, I'm going to allow everyone to try their best. I'm going down for the count and I'm coming back to say, when I say I love you, I win. They tried to kill me, didn't stick. So my I love you and you are valued and worth and I've got good plans for you, wins. Night Jesus from betrayed, took the bread broken, said, this is my body, which is for you. Same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, remember me. And remember me has all these subsidiarities. Remember you're loved. Remember you're worthy of love. Not because of the theologian says it, but because God says it. So let's do this, guys. Please stand, guys. If you're like me, you've got voices in your head. I'm not, I mean, some of you to other strength than others. But I mean, do you ever hear a condemnation voice that takes you out of the game? We have people who felt the same way who are going to sides gonna pray for you. If you are ailing in any way, or you just wanna get on board with this thing God is laterally inviting all of us to, receive prayer today. We love you. See you next week. Best is yet to come.